We're continuing our study of this marvelous kingdom book. Um, I'm entitling this message. Uh, the, what am I titling this message? I'm titling it something about genie. I dream of genie. I dream of genie. I dream of a genie Jesus. Do you remember that show with, uh, what was the gal's name? Uh, Eaton? Uh, Barbara Eaton? Whatever happened, it happened, is she still alive? Uh, yeah, I, I haven't, I, I don't recall seeing her on any show other than I Dream of Genie, but uh, I watched that show as a young 11, 12 year old man. <laughs> I watched that show religiously, and it wasn't because I liked the plot. I uh, just, in fact, my mother forbid me to watch that show because uh, she didn't think that uh, the genie had enough clothing on, uh, which compared to today, <laughs> uh, well, anyways, uh, but I found ways. Uh, that really has nothing to do with this message other than the title. Uh, uh, there are some people who like to treat Jesus as though he was a little genie in a bottle, and, and we'll get to that point a little bit later on. What we saw in the verses leading up to where we're at right now, we're up to, I think, verse 40. Uh, what we saw was that uh, Jesus announces the kingdom in the first part of uh, Luke chapter 4 after he gets out of the temptations. He announces the kingdom, and then he starts to demonstrate the kingdom, and that's what we talked about uh, last week. The kingdom's always about words and actions, and the, act, and the emphasis falls on the actions. Preach the gospel to every living creature and use words if you absolutely have to. And so when Jesus would send out his, his uh, disciples, they did what really should be our program for evangelism today. And that is, your first job is to bless people. It's that simple. Just whoever you see, you bless them. You pray God's uh, fullness and, and peace uh, and, and benefit and blessing on their life. Second thing is you befriend them. Uh, third thing is you serve them. And the fourth thing is you announce the kingdom. And in announcing the kingdom, you're just inviting them in on the kingdom. You're explaining why you're doing what you're doing, and you're inviting them in on that kingdom. And that brings us to where we're at right now. And I'll start reading with verse 40. Oh, and by the way, as we saw last week, healing, physical healing, is part of the kingdom that we proclaim with words and action. And that's why we want to take a lot of opportunities to be praying for people for every area in their life, but also for their physical needs uh, here as well, even as we did here this morning. So starting with verse 40, reading from the TNIV version, we find this. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, sicknesses, and laying his hands on each one of them, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God. But Jesus rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, now remember the people were bringing to Jesus these people in the evening. And so the implication of the text is that they, Jesus ministered all night long. He started in the evening and went till daybreak. Finally at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. Somehow he escaped. Maybe they'd gone to bed or maybe not, I don't know, but he got away. But the people went looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. Stay here. But Jesus said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I am sent. So Jesus kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Holy Spirit, land on this message and use it to challenge us and transform us in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Two basic points I want to make uh, from this passage. The first point is simply this, and it's going to be a reminder for most of us, but we can't get this reminder too often. Jesus, having ministered uh, you know, to Capernaum the day before and maybe all through the night, he needed to get away and get alone. 
In fact, this is a pattern that you see throughout the Gospels. Jesus ministers, and then he retreats. In fact, there's, there's, there's one episode where the crowds were coming to him, and he ran in the other direction, Matthew chapter 8. Jesus knew he needed alone time with the Father. And he went out of his way to make that a top priority, sometimes even more of a priority than ministering to people. Jesus, the Son of God, knew that he needed to keep his relationship with the Father sustained as a full human being. Had to keep that relationship sustained. He needed to get refueled by his alone time with God. And the only point I want to make out of that, that is this. If the Son of God needed to be disciplined in carving out time for solitude, time to be alone with the Father, don't you think that probably we need to do the same? To make that a top, if not the top, priority in our life. Everything we do in the kingdom flows out of our relationship with, with God. He's our source of life. If we don't invest in that relationship, uh, our source of life begins to dry up. We need time that is set aside where we get alone with God, where we let him love us, just let him love on us and receive that love and drink deeply of that well. We need time where we let him search our heart and reveal things about ourselves so we learn about ourselves. We need time to let him work on us. We need time to be involved in petitionary prayer. We need time for uh, biblical reading where, where he highlights things in the Bible that come alive in our life. We just need that private time with God. And when we don't do that, when we don't make it a top priority, then slowly our kingdom life begins to dry up. Now, you may not notice it at the very start, but, but, but you'll slowly see that your life begins to dry up. Uh, you become less profound. You become a more shallow person. When we're not drinking deeply of the well in our relationship with God, uh, we, we become more secularized. We gradually become more pagan. Uh, we gradually take on the mindset of the world. You'll find that as you... Uh, neglect your time alone with God, the flesh starts creeping back. Things that you used to conquer, be over, start coming back to you. Your temper is shorter than it used to be. Uh, your patience is, is less than what it used to be. Your capacity to love people is less than what it used to be. Your capacity to forgive is less than what it, it used to be. You are gradually becoming a petty, worldling person. And we don't our, our culture is so, so uh, externally focused that we don't often connect the dots between what we do in our quiet time and how important uh, and, and how qualitative our quiet time is, or whatever you want to call that, um, and on the one hand, and the quality of our life on the other. But in fact, there's a direct correlation there. I encourage us to make time, carve out a non-negotiated time that we are with the Father. And invest in that. Make it a date that is unbreakable, the way you'd make a date with a person. Uh, it, 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 you just got to lock it in. The devil hates you being alone with the Father because he knows that that's the source of your life. So, of course, he's going to be working overtime to keep you from doing that. Just expect that. There will always be reasons not to do that. But make it a priority. In fact... Uh, notice this, that Jesus went and got in a, a solitary place at daybreak in the morning. And there's something about the morning that is special. And maybe mainly because 
Uh, life is so busy that, that it's only by making a commitment to uh, put God first at the very beginning of the day that we ever really will be consistent on having that alone time with God. But the Bible and the whole church tradition emphasizes the importance of meeting with God in the morning. So the psalmist says this, for example, Psalm 5. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my, my request uh, before you. Next one. I will sing of your strength. In the morning, I will sing of your love. And then, but I cry for your help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. And over and over again, you hear this, this uh, refrain about meeting with the Lord in the morning. Now, we, we should cultivate a mindset where we talk to God all day long. Definitely. But we need to have times that are set aside where we especially talk with the Lord face to face. And it's a time of intimacy. And there's no one magical time to do that. But the Bible and wise people throughout church history have emphasized that the morning tends to be the best time. Your mind is, is more open. Your heart is more open. Your mind is more clear uh, uh, in the morning than it is in any other time of the day. Once you get into the busyness of the day, other things cloud your mind. At night, you're often too tired to really have a qualitative uh, time with God. Now, if that's what works for you, I'm not going to preach a doctrine against that. But I encourage us to, to, to consider making a more, the morning a time where we carve out a, a, a special time to be with God. I mentioned this before that I, I used to get up and have my coffee and then, then I go into a time of, of prayer. Uh, but I found that very frequently by the time I got my coffee and got upstairs, my mind was already racing on other things. Uh, so the Lord said, you know what, I, I, want, I want the first half hour before the coffee. Well, now it's gotten to the point, and I got this actually from reading uh, a spiritual author in the 14th or 15th century, that even before you get out of bed, in fact, the psalmist says this, before I even arise out of bed, I, I uh, meet with you. And so now what I'm doing is even before I get out of bed, unless I have to go to the bathroom really bad, of course, but, uh, but other, otherwise I'll just lay in bed. And when I wake up, I'm trying to train my mind to immediately go to the Lord first thing. In fact, what I like to do, if I can remember this, and I'm getting a little better at it, but when I wake up, I try to envision the Lord looking at me. The way that a lover might look at the beloved sleeping. You know, you just, I, I do that with my wife sometimes. I just watch her sleep. She's so cute when she sleeps. And, and then, you know, if she wakes up, she says that I'm looking at her. And that's a real tender moment. Like, oh, you really, you're, you think about me even when I'm sleeping. Well, the Lord's been thinking about you all night long. And he's been tenderly looking at you all night long. And when you wake up, if you can just imagine the Lord in his tenderness looking at you saying, oh, I've been uh, thinking about you all night long, it, it, it just rekindles something in your heart. And then I just lay before the Lord the day. I surrender the day to him. I preview in my mind uh, what will be going on uh, throughout the day, and I ask him to bless this and to guide it. I ask him to help me make this day more about him than it is about me. I see the various people that I might be encountering that day, and I pray blessing on their life. And then ho however else the Lord leads this interaction, we go in that direction. But I'm becoming convinced, though we don't usually connect the dots this way, I'm becoming convinced that one of the main determiners of the quality and the tone of your day is set in what you do in the first five minutes of the day. It's like it sets the course. And so I encourage us, try that. See if this doesn't work. Now, it's hard to remember. Uh, it, it's really, if, you, if your pattern has been that you wake up and your mind normally goes someplace else, you're, you're, you have, you've developed a habit that it will be hard to break. So think of ways of breaking that habit. 
Uh, you might want to like, you know, put a, a little notice on your alarm clock or notice on the mirror when you get up in the morning. You know, go back to bed and pray. Uh, something to remind you to you know, train your mind to, to go to the Lord, to make your first good morning a good morning to the Lord. In fact, I thought of last night an ingenious thing that somebody here should design. Uh, well, it's not, actually not that ingenious, but it would be cool to have an alarm clock that, that did that. When you woke up, it says, it would say something like, Greg, this is the Lord. Talk to me. I, you know, it's just so that way you'd remember, instead of having this stupid music on or something, Greg, I've been looking at you. Talk to me or something like that. You could program it. So someone invent that, okay? And then, and then give, give the church some of the kickback. Okay. So have a time where you carve out to meet with the Lord, and I encourage you to try uh, doing that even before you get out of bed. The second point I want to make from this passage concerns the crowd of Capernaum. It says in verse 42, At daybreak Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving. They didn't want him to leave. And he said, I've got to go. I've got to preach good news to the kingdom to all the other towns because this is why I was sent. So here's Jesus he, in, in the morning, 6 o'clock in the morning or whenever it was. The, the sun is just coming up. And the people are looking for him. Poor Jesus. And he's trying to get a little bit of alone time uh, under the oak tree or whatever tree they have over there. And he's talking to the Father and the people are looking around and there he is. Oh, here he is. And they come and, and they say, Jesus, we, we've made a council decision. We want you to be our town savior. Uh, we don't want you to go anywhere else. We want you to stay right here. Uh, aren't you happy that we like you so much? Uh, we would like you to be our sort of town mascot, uh, the permanent savior under, because there still are other needs that haven't been met yet. And even when you meet all of these needs, surely tomorrow someone else is going to be sick, and, and a, a year from now some other things are going to be happening. So we'd just like you to hang out with us and be our not only personal but also private town tribal savior. We'd like you to be sort of a, a, a genie that we can have in a bottle, and whenever we need uh, something to be done, a blessing to come down from heaven, uh, we want you to, to just hang out with us and, and, and be that genie. Now, they could have easily had a different mindset. They could have said, whoa, we've been so blessed with this, with, with, with this Savior. We want him to, uh, you know, there's other people in other towns that need to hear this message and, and need to be blessed with his, with his power. They could have had a real sort of broad-minded approach. But they didn't. They wanted to keep Jesus for themselves. And that really isn't uh, too atypical of us, is it? I'm not going to cast the first stone on that one. There's something about us in our fallen nature that wants to say, Mine! You know, stay here! I want you to, to, to be a bless-me genie that I can have at my beckoning at all times. Um, this is, I think, see, what Jesus does is he loves these people. And he gently tries to broaden their mind. And so he says, okay, look at you guys. I love you, and I love blessing you, I love meeting your needs, but you've got to understand, this is bigger than you. This is bigger than Capernaum. I love Capernaum, but I must, he says, I must go and bring this good news to other towns. I, I, this is why I've been sent. There is this thing going on. This movement, this power that God is unleashing in this world, this revolution called the kingdom of God. And that's what I'm about. And so Jesus invites them to follow him, but he says, I'm not going to follow you. He invites them to be part of his agenda, but he's saying, you can't make me part of your agenda. He invites them to be part of his program, but he says, I, I can't be made part of your program. 
Jesus is saying, I, I, I invite you to be part of my kingdom, but you, don't, you can't make me part of your kingdom. Don't try to fit me on one of the pegs of your life like you would a, logo block, a Lego block, uh, you know, just to be sort of your private savior. Rather, I'm about something much broader that I want you to, you to be about, about, but don't try to reduce me down to your interests. See, I believe, I, I believe that this, this, this point cuts to the core of a whole lot of American religion because it gets to the core of an American mindset. Uh, the kingdom of God is alive and well, but so is a lot of religion, and the two are very different. And regarding the, 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 the religion in America, there is a tendency, I believe, because this is a very American tendency, to own it, to, to, to have a Jesus that is, is, is a privatized, our own personal genie sort of, of religion. We, we like it that way. A, 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 a God who fits our agenda, who's part of our program, where we call the shots, and he does things on our terms, at our pace, according to our plans. It may be that this is even reflected in some of the ways we talk about God. Um, for example... And I'm not saying this language is wrong. I'm just saying it can be imbalanced unless we take care to balance it with other kind of talk. But for example, we, we encourage people to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. I, 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 get to, I will accept him. Uh, I invite him in on my life. We say, Lord, I'll let you. I, I will let you forgive me and give me my get-out-of-jail-for-free card. Um, and, and the way we talk is about us being in the driver's seat and saying, Jesus, you be, I, I invite you into my heart. I invite you into my heart. Now, that's not wrong, but I think it's a little bit imbalanced. Have you noticed, has anyone here noticed that the Bible doesn't talk that way? The New Testament doesn't, doesn't speak about it in those terms. We believe in the Lord. We're to have faith in the Lord. We're to be committed to the Lord, but it doesn't have the sort of privatized feel to it that a lot of American language about uh, Christianity has. In fact, uh, throughout history, Christians have never talked this way. This is a very new way of talking. It, it really arose about 125 years ago um, with, with the revivals of D.L. Moody and Charles Finney. They began to use this kind of a language. And again, I don't want to knock it too hard. I'm not saying it's heretical, but, but it, it can give the wrong connotation. Uh, there's other ways of talking about salvation and what it is to be a follower of Jesus. For example, uh, Hans Zinzendorf is a famous pietist in the 17th century or 18th century uh, and really a man of God and had a kingdom vision that was just so outstanding. And here's what he says. I like this. He says, it's not so much that we invite Jesus in on our heart as it is that we commit to abiding in Jesus' heart. And it's not so much that we're to invite Jesus in on our life as it is that we're to accept an invitation to join his life. And it's not that we let Jesus be a part of what we're doing. Rather, we are to commit to being fully invested in what he's doing. It's really a Copernican revolution. Uh, whose life is being involved in whose life? Uh, whose kingdom is reigning? And the, the uh, all-too-common American mindset is that it's really our kingdom, and Jesus has a little bit of a role to play in our kingdom. Uh, we have got, I think, to a significant degree, uh, in the religion of America, a, a kind of a, a Jesus genie model. It looks like this. Here's the Jesus genie. A uh, little Jesus genie. 
And, and what often happens is we say, Jesus, uh, I tell you what, I invite you to come into my pocket. Will you come and live in my pocket? And uh, uh, wherever I go, go with me. And whatever I do, will you just bless it? Uh, you know, and I'll, I'll just go about my life. And I'm not going to think about you all that much. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to try to cultivate a 24-7 relationship or anything. I'll go about my life as I would have otherwise, but I sure would like you to be along for the ride. And, and tell you what, why don't you just sort of, uh, you know, when, when I have a need, uh, then I, I, will you just be available so that I can take you out and kind of rub the bottle and, and then you pop out and, and say, what can I, you know, what can I do for you? And then I can say, gosh, I'm really looking for a parking space here. And, uh, you know, could you just kind of help me out here? Yesterday I was calling on you because I, yesterday, I'm not kidding, I got a flat tire uh, on two, Highway 280. Uh, when it's 32 below wind chill, and I don't, I'm not like one of these NASCAR people who, uh, uh, you know, can change tires in uh, two minutes. It took me an hour and a half to fit. Well, part of it's because I kept on going back in the car to try to refill my, I didn't have any gloves, didn't have any hat. I, it, this was, I didn't have a phone to call anybody. I was really in bad shape. Oh, wine, wine for me. Come on, just, just pour it on you guys. Come on. It was, it was nasty. Oh, and so I was like, Jesus, would you give me a hand here? Don't you change tires? I want a, I want a personal genie I can rub and a uh, bottle I can rub and have my, my genie Jesus pop out. But this is kind of an American mindset if we're honest with ourselves. And it's not surprising since we really are saying, Jesus, I invite you, lucky you, to be part of my Lego pieces. I've got a lot of other things here, but you get to have this part of it. And when we have this kind of mindset, it's not... It's not surprising, is it, that the Jesus that we carry around in our pocket looks very, very American. Happens to agree with us on just about everything, doesn't he? And we got a, a little genie Jesus that's pro-America, that's pro-democracy, that's pro-capitalism, that's pro-wealth, me getting wealthy, it's pro-our military. We got a Jesus who just confirms all of our values and basically blesses everything that we we're going to do anyways, even if he wasn't around. But how nice to have a little genie in the pocket who just confirms all this stuff. A Jesus who agrees with us on all of our ethics. A Jesus, a personal, private genie Jesus who agrees that my sins are really pretty minor when you think about it, pretty ordinary and understandable, but those people's sins are really big. Uh, you know, a, a Jesus who agrees that my greed and my gluttony, uh, you know, my self-righteousness and, and judgmentalism, that those are kind of minor, understandable things, but those gay people, they're out there destroying this country. You know, they got the big one, the big sins. And a Jesus just confirms all of our American values, all of our American way of life, a very Americanized Jesus. A Jesus who's made after our own image. Not surprising, because he's there just to kind of serve our purposes. A tribal and personal genie Jesus. And what I want to say here this morning is this. That is not the real Jesus. That is not the real Jesus. Jesus says, yes, I want a personal relationship with you. I want it deep. I want it intimate. I want it profound. I would like to talk with you the first half hour of every single day. A personal relationship where he wants to talk with us all day long. A personal relationship, but not a privatized genie relationship. He, yes, he wants a personal relationship with us, but he, he will not let us define him. Uh, he will not let us call the shots. He will not do things on our terms. Yes, he wants a, a personal relationship with us. But he doesn't come to say, I'll fit your program. Rather, he's saying, I want you to fit my program. He wants a personal relationship with us. But he's not saying, I'll fit into your agenda. What, he, what he's saying is, I want you to fit in my agenda. He wants a personal relationship with us. But he, he didn't come to confirm all of our religious and cultural values. Jesus came to end religion and to turn our cultural values upside down. 
He wants a personal relationship with us, but he's, he, he didn't come to be a part of our kingdom. He came to make us part of his kingdom. And what his kingdom is about, we just read it in Luke chapter 4. He announces it. What his kingdom is about is a lot bigger than Capernaum, and it's a lot bigger than St. Paul, and it's a lot bigger than just you. And he wants us to join on this bigger kingdom. It's a kingdom where he announces that he's come to, to be good news and to make us good news to the lost, to the oppressed, to the poor, to those who are afflicted through racial oppression, to those who are afflicted by social oppression. To, he's come to reach out to those who are forgotten in society. He's come to reach out to the prisoners, to bring healing to the sick, healing to the soul, healing to the mind, to turn the world upside down with the love of Jesus Christ. He's got a kingdom that looks like Calvary. It looks like Jesus Christ dying on the cross for his enemies. He's come to invite us to join a kingdom where you love your enemies. And, and if you've got an extra coat, you share it with those who don't have a coat. And if you've got extra food, you share it with people who don't have any f food. And if you've got extra space, you share it with people who don't have any space. A kingdom where you learn to live, live out God's heart, living out outrageous generosity. And, and it's not him fitting our program, but rather he's saying, I invite you to fit my program. That's what it is. That's what it is. To belong to the kingdom. So he, he's saying, you can't keep me. I'm not your personal genie. Don't box me in. Don't try to fit me into your cultural values and your presuppositions. Rather, what it means to surrender to Jesus Christ is we put all cards on the table and we say, Lord, whatever is not of you, you can take off. You can confront my most basic presuppositions in life. It's not about me. It's about you. And actually, that is part of the good news. The good news for you is that it's not about you. And the reason is because you were made in the image of a God who, uh, who serves. And you are most fully in the image of God when you are living a life where it's not about you. The best prescription for misery I could ever give anybody. You want to be miserable? Here's the prescription. Follow this carefully. Be self-absorbed. You want to be miserable? Be self-absorbed. And see, the lie of the world is that happiness is found in being self-absorbed, being self-centered. The lie of the world, the pattern of this world is that if, I, if everything orbits me, the more I can get for me, the better off I'll be. If only I can get enough of the toys and the trinkets and yada, 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 then I'm going to be happy. And that reality is you're not going to be happy. You're going to be miserable. Fullness of life, meaning, depth, joy is found when we learn the kingdom truth that the way to find your life is to lose it. The way to find joy is to get free from self-centeredness. The way to find joy is to learn to live investing in others. The way to find joy is to follow Jesus' example. The way to find joy is to, is to live uh, with a reckless abandonment about all that you own. The way to find joy is to learn to cultivate a heart of outrageous generosity. You were made to belong to something bigger than you. And what is best for you is to realize that, to discover that, and to invest in that. And the thing that's bigger than you that you're called to invest in is this thing, this beautiful revolution called the kingdom of God. The challenge is this. Are we fitting Jesus into our little box, our little mine, our little precious, where he just confirms what we already thought about things anyways? Or are we in fact surrendering it all and saying, Lord, help me to fit into your program, your kingdom. Use me. Uh, make this about you. Uh, and just use me in your uh, will as you're carrying it out in this world. Now let me close with just three quick tips on how to do this. Because here's the challenge. It's a big one. You could be saying, and you probably, I hope you are saying amen to what I'm talking about right now. Are you saying amen to what I'm talking about right now? Amen. Good. Now here's the challenge. Will you remember this? Well, I remember this tonight. And will I remember it tomorrow? 
and the next day. Our life is nothing more than a series of nows strung together. And to the extent that we believe something but it doesn't affect each now, to that degree, it's just a theoretical belief. What we want is to live kingdom life 24-7. How do we do that? And the pull towards self-centeredness is so, so ingrained in our culture um, that, that if we're not intentional about this, our default setting will quickly, very quickly, before we get out of the parking lot, our default setting will kick in again and we'll be once again living life where everything orbits us rather than us orbiting God. So here's three quick tips. First of all, in the morning, commune with God. Commune with Jesus Christ. I encourage you to put into practice what I've been talking about here. In the morning, consecrate the day to the Lord. Just surrender the day to the Lord. And, and, and envision, preview the day as a day that's about Him, not you. And ask the question, not, Lord, will you bless what I'm going to do? James says it's not even right to talk that way. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. Rather, you say, Lord, if it's your will, I will do these things. James chapter 1. And so consecrate the day to the Lord and just say, Lord, uh, I want this to be about you. Show me your will for today. And then bless what's going to be happening and who you're going to be confronting uh, as you've surrendered it to him. So consecrate the day before. Number two, second tip, throughout the day, throughout the day, commune with Jesus. Try to cultivate a habitual, Paul says, pray without ceasing. Never stop this. Try to cultivate a mindset where the Lord is always on your mind. Whatever else you're doing, he's part of what you're doing. Uh, because hopefully what you're doing is his will for you to be doing. Here's, here's a prayer that I found uh, a person, um, an author, uh, pr- uh, trained his, himself to pray throughout the day. And I've been, I've been using this. These aren't the exact words you have to use, but, but something like this. But the prayer was, Lord, help me to remember that I'm always in your presence. Help me to remember that I'm always in your presence. And just to make that a, a, a part of your, your, your awareness, that wherever you go, you're in the presence of God. And to cultivate an openness to his leading, to his guiding, uh, to his direction. Uh, think about this. To the extent that at any given moment, my mind is exhaustively, the content of my mind is exhaustively defined by the physical here and now. To the extent that my mind is exhaustively defined by the physical content of what I'm seeing around me, to that degree, I'm not thinking accurately. I'm not seeing the world accurately. Because what's really true is that there's something else going on, and that is that God is present. And so by including the Lord into every present moment, we're actually getting our minds to line up more with truth. And as we get our minds to line up more with truth, we're able now, we're in a position where he can begin to use us and guide us and lead us uh, and, and, and uh, strengthen us and use everything for, for, uh, to his advantage in the kingdom. So cultivate the mindset, Lord, Lord, uh, help me to remain aware that I'm always in your presence. This also, if, if you're not, if you haven't ever thought like this, it's very hard to get in the habit of this. In fact, I think it's a lifelong aspiration. I've been working at this for eight years and there's a little improvement, but it's hard. But try things like this. Put post-it notes all over the place, on your rearview mirror, on your driving wheel, on the refrigerator, on your toilet, uh, you know, wherever you need to put post-it notes. Uh, and, and just say, remember, you're always in the Lord's presence. Remember, or something, some prayer like that. Uh, you might want to uh, ha- ask somebody to hold you accountable. In fact, 
I think this would be a good idea where, where you, there's somebody in your life or maybe a couple people where you say this. Look, and I'm trying to cultivate a kingdom mindset. Because to the extent that we don't have a kingdom mindset, we really are just kind of, we're living as functional atheists throughout the day. We can go days, can't we? Days without thinking about the Lord. We want to create a moment-by-moment awareness. So have somebody in your life where you say, look, will you call me once in a while and uh, just ask, how's your kingdom awareness going? How's your walk going today? Is this a kingdom day? Or is this kind of just a worldling day? And it's not about being shamed or anything like that. It's a way of helping us grow as kingdom people. Then the final thing I'll just say is this. At the end of the day, guess what? Commune with Jesus. And this is a matter of just taking inventory. How did today go? Did you, did, did you remain in his unbroken presence today? To what degree? To what degree was today a secular pagan day? And to what degree was today a kingdom awareness day? And we don't do that to be condemned or anything of the sort. We do it just to, to, to be aware. Uh, and, and so that we're always growing. Take inventory. And then thank the Lord for the day that he just gave you. Uh, and go to, go to sleep with him on your mind. Mm, growing in kingdom awareness. It's not about him fitting into our program. It's about us fitting into his program. Close your eyes as I close this in prayer. In fact, would you stand and close your eyes? I just end with this question. To what extent is your mindset on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis, is it different because of the fact that you are a kingdom person? This morning, was your mindset a kingdom mindset? This morning, was, have you been going about your plans without any regard to what his plans might be? And I just encourage you to let the Holy Spirit bring to your awareness the areas in which you are still in control of your life, you're still Lord of your life, and will you surrender those over to him? And so Holy Spirit, we ask that you will remind us to be mindful. This afternoon, to be mindful. Tonight, to be mindful. Tomorrow, to be mindful to be surrendered to you, Lord. Forgive us for the ways that we've treated you like a little genie in a bottle. Lord, rather help us to know that it's not just about us and our personal little lives, but it's about this revolution that's going on. And make us globally-minded revolutionaries who are sold out to your kingdom, Lord. We surrender ourselves to you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. As I close, two points here. Number one. Would the prayer teams come forward? And if you have any need that hasn't yet been prayed for in this service, I encourage you to come forward and spend some time in prayer. Number two, go out and be crazily friendly to people out in the, in the gathering area. The kingdom building starts out there. God bless you guys. Love you. Go out and build the kingdom.